morning, everyone. It's lovely to be together and to be able to share a message with you. I've got some things to say about what it's like being in lockdown, and then I'm going to invite you into an imaginative reading of scripture, which I hope you'll enjoy. So here goes. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 29, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Sooner or later, life is going to lead us, as it did Jesus, into the belly of the beast, into a situation that we can't fix, can't control, and can't explain or understand. That's where transformation most easily happens. That's when we're uniquely in the hands of God. Right now, it seems like the whole world is in the belly of the beast together. But we are also safely held in the loving hands of God, even if we do not yet fully realize it. Now is the time to evaluate our lives and our relationship with God. When a virus disrupts your life and threatens to take you and those you love, it puts into perspective verses of scripture like James chapter 4 verses 13 to 15. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. God is doing something new in our lifetime, and it feels like we're headed into a new season. If this is true, then it would be unwise to try and go back to our lives as they were before COVID-19. This is a time of new growth for us. The scripture says in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do we really believe that? What does it actually mean? I think it means getting right with the Lord. In James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, there is some good advice. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you who are double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And even in there, there's some good advice about hand washing. We are to be a holy people for a holy God. Could this isolation be a blessing in disguise, forcing us to spend more time with God? Here's a question for you. If you were truly isolated, 
all by yourself, even without the Bible, would you be okay? No, that was not a glitch. Did it seem like eternity? It was simply one minute of no outside connection. How did it feel? We have the internet right now, so we are not truly isolated. But without our Sunday meetings, connect groups, podcasts, WhatsApp groups, and other forms of teaching and connecting, would we be able to lead ourselves in our walk with the Lord or even lead others to Christ? I believe this virus has shown us how unprepared we are. One good thing from this virus and the resulting isolation is that people seem to be reading the Bible more. Do we know how to read the Bible for ourselves? Do we read the Bible for information or transformation? Is it like a textbook we study for exams and have to get through it, cram it in, but don't remember much? Is it how to read the Bible in a year reading plan that has got to be worked through so you can tick the box for today or find yourself consumed with guilt if you get behind? Or... Is it like a love letter? We don't really get these anymore with the digital communication which connects you face to face in an instant with anyone anywhere in the world. I remember as a schoolgirl in South Africa when our sweethearts went away to do their compulsory military training, how we waited and longed for that letter to come. And when it did, how we kept it close and read it over and over and over again. My mom was very impressed with how much time I spent studying geography. But in truth, my boyfriend's letter was hidden in the pages, and that was what I was studying over and over again, not geography. I even slept with it under my pillow. Can we read the Bible like this, like a love letter? When we engage the scriptures like this, It leads to spiritual transformation. We engage not only our minds, but also our hearts, our emotions, our body, our curiosity, our imagination, and our will. We open ourselves to deeper understanding and insight that grows out of and leads us deeper into our personal relationship with the one behind the text. 
our top priority is to listen to God relationally rather than seeking only to learn more about God cognitively. Our approach is driven by the longing of a lover. We read slowly so we can savour each word and let its meaning sink in. We stay in the place where God is speaking to us, contemplating its meaning for our life and our relationship with him. This time in our lives can seem formless and empty, as Genesis describes in the beginning. But if you continue to read those verses, the Spirit of God was hovering over the darkness, and that same Holy Spirit is with us now. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he will shine his light on your situation now. You are not alone and you are not in darkness. Let his word light up your lives as you read it and draw closer to him. I want to end today with a spiritual practice called imaginative contemplation. This combines the imaginative reading of scripture with personal prayer. It brings us to a closer encounter with Jesus. God can speak to us just as clearly in our imagination as through our thoughts and memories. This exercise will take about 15 minutes. So sit back and listen. Perhaps close your eyes or maybe have something next to you that you can write on or draw as you go through this exercise. And I pray, if this is new to you, you will keep an open mind, engage fully in the exercise, and listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So take a few deep breaths and get ready. Imaginative contemplation is a way of getting to know and even meeting Christ in the Gospels. The ultimate goal is personal encounter with Him. Take your time with this kind of prayer. God is in no rush. Take whatever time you need to settle into this prayer. You can always press pause if you need longer at any point. First, we familiarize ourselves with the passage. 
Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, and by this time the boat battered by the waves was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came, walking towards them on the lake. But when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And then they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The scene is close to the Sea of Galilee, towards the end of a long day. Jesus and the disciples have just fed over 5,000 people. Earlier they learned of the violent murder of John the Baptist. They are ready for a peaceful end to their day. Jesus feels a need for prayer. The disciples are going to cross the Sea of Galilee. Imagine Jesus leading the disciples into a boat. Place yourself among them. You might be one of the disciples in their shoes, as it were. Or perhaps you are wearing your own shoes as yourself, and yet with them. Who are you?
Look at the crowd slowly dispersing. At the lake in the evening light, the boat, the other disciples, the sky. Listen to the sounds, too. The crowd. The water lapping on the shore. Jesus organizing you into the boat, sending the crowds away. Smell the air. Perhaps the aroma of bread and fish coming from the feast that has recently taken place. Feel the breeze. Quite a strong one tonight coming from the lake. After pushing out the boat, perhaps you take an oar and begin to pull the boat out into the lake. It's heavy going. Notice Jesus sending the last of the crowd away, then making his way up the hill to pray. It's some time later and you have not made the far shore. The wind is strong and against you. It's a struggle.
Then a shocking experience, as you notice a figure coming towards you, walking on the water. What is the reaction on the boat? You hear the person speak from afar. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. You realize it is Jesus. How are you affected by this event? Peter issues his challenge. If it is you, tell me to come to you across the water. And Jesus says, Come. You watch as Peter steps out of the boat and onto the water. He begins to walk to Jesus. Feeling the wind and seeing the waves, he takes fright and begins to sink. Lord, save me! Jesus catches his hand and holds him. Why did you doubt? The story continues. But before that, is there anything else you want to do here? Do you want to step out like Peter? and walk to Jesus on the water? Do you want to catch the eye of Jesus? Do you want to speak to him, or to look at him? Take whatever time you need to go where you are drawn to go. What is your response to this Jesus who walks on water and commands the wind? Take whatever time you need to be with Jesus in this scene.
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.